In this time, let us turn our hearts to the Lord as we receive our Old Testament lesson from Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit at a, as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In this time, let us turn our hearts to the Lord as we receive our New Testament lesson from Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Ooh, Advent, what a time. What a beautiful liturgical season might feel a little bit weird, you know, singing all the Christmas songs and everything, especially whenever it's, why is it so warm? I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever get used to that. I miss the cold times. I swear the AC is well, it's supposed to be on, I guess. But here we are in the season of Advent, a time of preparation, really. We talked last week about Advent being a time of anticipation, but it's also a time of preparation. Now, there's definitely the preparation that goes into, well, you know, all of the holiday excitement that's going on. We prepare for guests to come over, and we prepare to travel to go see loved ones. We prepare food, and we prepare for festivities. We prepare for rest, particularly the kids who get off school. Not so much the parents who have to work around that, I suppose. And we prepare for, well, all of the activities we prepare for anxiety. There's a lot that goes into this season. And some of us prepare for heartache. It's a difficult season. But in a liturgical sense, we take on preparation with a different understanding. We prepare for the coming of Christ. And not just the baby in a manger Christ. Yes, there is that whole 
recognition and we celebrate those nativity scenes. But we prepare for the Christ who comes in final victory. Yeah, Advent isn't just about the birth of Christ. It's about the second coming of Christ, the parousia. It's about this time of recognizing that, as Christ said to his disciples, I am not leaving you orphans. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, then surely I will come back for you. Yes, the second coming of Christ. So, if that's the case, why then do we reflect so much on a baby in a manger and that story? If it's about the coming of Christ, why don't we spend more time in the book of Revelation and instead we turn to the Old Testament so much? Well, the truth is, we prepare the only way we as humans know how to prepare, by exploring our past. We're, that's the only way we can really prepare for anything, is we have to look back at what's happened before, and then we can get a sense of how we're going to deal with it this time. For instance, whenever COVID-19, I know we're sick of talking about it, but was first declared a pandemic, what was like one of the first things that news outlets started turning to in researchers? The Spanish flu. That was the closest thing we had as a semblance of this kind of pandemic spread. And so we started looking at what they did during that time, in the early 1900s, and how they prepared as a way for, to guide our preparation. Many other things go uh, into preparation during this time. You know, if, if you're one who hangs up uh, Christmas lights and Christmas decorations, well, you prepare for that by learning from what you've learned in the past. There are certain things you don't do whenever you're hanging up Christmas decorations, and you probably learn that the hard way. If you're preparing certain meals, you know there are certain things you don't do. For instance, my wife and I were trying to make cookies one time, chocolate chip cookies, very simple homemade recipe, you would think. And the recipe called for an amount of flour that we thought was excessive, and so we cut that amount of flour in half. And we did not have chocolate chip cookies. And we have learned from our mistakes. Now we only get the toll house. <laughs> we prepare by exploring our past. And this is one thing that Israel was known for. They are very much a historical-based people. They're always reflecting back. Remember that time when? Remember that time when? In fact, Almost the entire Old Testament was written during a time whenever the people wanted to remember that time when. During a time of exile. There it is. Look at it kicking on. <laughs> I knew that would happen. The people had to reflect on their history in order to be able to get through their present and have a hope for their future. And so that's really the reason why. Uh, we end up looking at the Old Testament text so much during this season of Advent and why we spend so much time concerned with a baby in a manger. Because it's part of our past and that's really the only way we know how to prepare for our future. But then, we kind of have to ask, what are we preparing? We know that we need to prepare. And then the next step comes, okay, what are we preparing? If you're the kind of person who loves to host Christmas parties, you know that you need to prepare for that. But then you have to build up the to-do list. 
For instance, my wife and I, we're going to be hosting Christmas at our house with her family this year. And already, you know, 20 days out, we have a very long to-do list. These are all the things that we need to prepare in time for family coming to visit. So what do we prepare during this time? Well, once again, we turn to our past and the Old Testament passages and a sign of the coming Messiah in the Old Testament that was often described is a messenger, a messenger who will prepare the way of the Lord. That's what we have in Malachi, our Malachi passage, chapter 3, verse 1. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. So, if we learn anything from this, what we are preparing during this Advent season is the way. Ooh, there's an abstract concept for us. We are preparing the way. And this message, prepare the way of the Lord, often gets attributed to John the Baptist, who is seen to be preparing the way for Jesus through his teaching and his baptizing. That's like his whole shtick was he was out there in the wilderness, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. It's beautiful. That's his whole life was devoted to preparing the way. But here is something perhaps even more beautiful. This role is not only for John. This is a message that we are to bring as well. It's not just John's message. It's ours. We are also charged with being messengers who prepare the way of the Lord. So... If we are to prepare the way, it would then be beneficial for us to understand what the way is or what it looks like. Now, the expression, the way, was a pretty common expression in the New Testament particularly. We have the, the expression, the way, pop up quite often. Uh, one of the most notable instances is whenever Jesus is described as being the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, even more frequent than that, comes in the uh, book of Acts. Before the term Christian was ever coined, those who followed Jesus were known as followers of the way. The way. Now, this uh, word in Greek really, it, I mean, it's just a road, a path, a way to get from one place to another. So, preparing this way, we need to really get a glimpse a little bit more about what the way is. Because if we just have that recognition of Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, okay, and Christians known as followers of the way, it's still incredibly vague. How do we prepare the way if we don't know what the way is? So, we turn to an unlikely informant to learn more about the way a man by the name of Zechariah. This is where our Luke passage comes in. Zechariah uh, was a priest, a priest in his time, and uh, he and his wife Elizabeth were both seen as very righteous people, upright in the way of the Lord. And Zechariah's story is that as the priest, uh, lots were cast. It was like this weird gambling game that priests played together. I don't Yes, strange. Uh, and lots were cast, and he got chosen to enter into the temple, into the presence of God. And incense was burned during this time, and all the other priests stayed, uh, remained outside uh, the Holy of Holies, uh, praying as 
Zechariah is able to enter into the presence. And while he's in there, he receives a vision of an angel, Gabriel, who says, Zechariah, you're going to have a son, and you're going to need to name him John. And he is going to be the messenger, the one who prepares the way of the Lord. And Zechariah says, no, we can't do that because we're old. And I don't know if you know anything about biology, Gabriel, but it doesn't really work that way. And Gabriel says, shame, shame, Zechariah. Because you don't believe, your mouth will be shut until your child is born. And so Zechariah comes out of the temple, and sure enough, he can't speak. And so he tries to sign to the other priests, and they recognize immediately that he's received a vision from God. So I call Zechariah the unlikely informant of the way because he's an unbelieving priest. Like, belief should be like your number one credential right there. Not, not only like just blind faith, but he's in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, and an angel appears before him. That's what most of us beg for if we're wanting to receive a message from God. Like, please, angel, right in front of us. And even then, he doesn't believe. So as the priest, you would think that he would be prepared to believe this message. As the priest, he also knows the ancient scriptures. And this entire story is uh, reminiscent of another one. Remember Abram and Sarai? Yeah, they were also pretty old in age, 99 and 100 years old. My goodness, you don't really expect them to become parents, but here they do. And even though Sarai laughs in the face of the, uh, of the angels who deliver this news, they bear a son, Isaac. Right? And that starts up the whole tradition of faith. And you would think that Zechariah would recall that experience and what they went through and see that this is possible for them as well. But he's not prepared to believe. And so because of that, his mouth is shut. I think that's absolutely fascinating, probably because he was one who talked too much and didn't listen enough, and he needed to be listening to God a little bit more. And then eventually we get to the point where his son is to be born. And Elizabeth delivers the son, and they ask, what are we to name him? And she says, well, I guess we'll name him after his father. We'll call him Bar Zechariah. Bar means son of Bar Zechariah. And Zechariah motions for something to write with and writes on, the pa on this um, page, his name is John. And at this point, his mouth is opened, and the very first thing he, he declares is this song. He begins singing praises to the Lord. And his song is, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, he turns his song from God to John, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. 
For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So this is Zechariah's story. His son John is finally born, his mouth is opened, and he believes and he recognizes that how God is going to use John to be the prophet for the Most High, to be the one who guides, who, who announces the Messiah, who will guide our feet into the way of peace. Do you hear that? So when we're talking about the way, we turn to this unlikely informant, the unbelieving priest who has to go through quite turmoil to get to this point, to declare that the way of the Messiah, these are his last words, the, the way of the Messiah is peace. How profound. How beautiful. Because the Messiah was supposed to be this great king who would restore Israel to former glory, just like King David, a king who wages wars against enemies. But the way of the Messiah is peace. And now, we turn to this word, peace. If you were in Bible study this morning, you got a bit of a head start on this, or excuse me, Sunday school this morning, so there's your encouragement to come. You always get a little bit more. This word peace in the Greek is erene. Erene. Uh, it gets translated as peace or harmony or tranquility quite often, but it's not just like this calm feeling. It's a relational term, much like the word shalom, which we talked about a few weeks ago. It is a relational term that implies, get this, reconciliation in relationships. Erene, peace. Reconciliation in relationships. That is the way of Christ. That is what it means to prepare the way for the Lord. Peace. Now, I want to give you a story, okay? A, a story of reconciled relationships, even if only for a moment. It was the week leading up to Christmas, 1914. The beginning of World War I was at its outset, and perhaps this story starts to sound familiar to you. And in that week leading up, everybody knows what time it is. Christmas time is here. And so, whether it be from just pure exhaustion or lack of ammunition, or whether it be from the recognition that this is a season of peace, the French and German and British soldiers ended up dropping their weapons, and crossing trenches to exchange season greetings. In some areas, the soldiers from both sides end up venturing into no man's land, someplace in between, a safe space, on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day to mingle and exchange food and souvenirs, trinkets, gifts. There they held joint burial ceremonies, they swapped prisoners, setting the captives free. And several meetings ended in singing Christmas carols. 
perhaps one of the most famous memories from this time was the soldiers stopping what they were doing to play some games of football. Not American football, soccer, what we call soccer, that kind of football, with one another and creating what has been known for over a century now as the Christmas truce. World War I, mass chaos, hatred and anger and fury all come to a halt the week of Christmas in order for soldiers to drop everything and come together. Now granted, it didn't last very long, but this they understood to be what Christmas was about. Peace, a truce, a time to reconcile differences and exchange gifts and food, prisoners, to sing carols, to be together in a space of peace, not on one side or the other, but together, to play a game, friendly competition. They understood something that I feel like we might have been getting a little too far from, that Advent, as we anticipate and prepare for Christmas, is a time of peace, reconciliation in relationships. And so my challenge for us today and through the rest of Advent is to take on the very role which John was charged with, which we have been charged with, though we might not recognize it, the role to prepare the way of the Lord with peace. We are preparing for the coming of Christ. And the way of Christ is peace. Reconciled relationships. So perhaps there are relationships in your life that need to be reconciled. There might be some people that we have to encounter during this holiday season that we don't want to encounter this holiday season. If you don't want to see somebody this holiday season, let that go ahead and be a clue. This might be a good place to start with reconciling relationships. That a relationship needs this kind of peace. In all truth, uh, we, we all have relationships that need a little bit more peace in them. All of our relationships could use a little bit more peace in them, particularly during such a hectic and chaotic time. So let that be the way in which we prepare the way of the Lord this season, with peace, reconciled, restored relationships as the way of Christ. Let us be the people who recognize that this is what Christ came for, peace, wholeness, harmony, reconciliation, restoration for all of us. And let us pray.